In John 19, 25, it says, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Cleophas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her unto his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it on upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation that the bodies should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for the Sabbath day was a high day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. Then came the soldiers and brake the legs of the first and of the other which was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they brake not his legs. One of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came there out blood and water. And he that saw it bear record, and his record is true. And he knoweth that he saith true, that ye might believe. For these things were done, that the scripture should be filled. A bone of him shall not be broken. And again another scripture saith, they shall look upon him whom they pierced. Blessed Lord Jesus, dying for sinners. There he was, nailed upon the cross, dying for his people. And we read of the actual death of Jesus Christ. And this morning we're going to look at this passage and see what the scriptures have to say about this, this death We need to be very careful, though. We don't want to put meaning into the words of Jesus that isn't really there. So we have to be very careful, I believe, not to put words in the mouth of Jesus. The Scripture is the interpreter of Scripture, and the Scripture is the interpreter of what Jesus said. And so um, what I want to do this morning is look at um, these two sayings that Jesus set upon the cross, and see what the scriptures have to say about those, about those sayings, and contemplate the death of our Lord upon the cross. First of all, we see that Jesus loved his own. Now, all the other disciples had fled, and it's John and the three Marys that are there before Mary, his mother, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. And there, they were near the cross, near enough to where they could talk to Jesus and hear him. And Jesus saw his mother, and he saw John. Now, that's when you see in the John's gospel where it says the disciple whom he loved, he's talking about John. And John 
will call himself the disciple whom Jesus loved uh, because I think it just marvels John that, that Jesus loved him. And so John is there. John is an eyewitness. Now, when we read this, we're reading an eyewitness account, but we're also reading the eyewitness of account that Jesus prayed that the things that the Holy Ghost would come and bring to remembrance all the things that had happened. So this is a, a, a God-moved, Holy Spirit-inspired eyewitness testimony of what happened there on the cross. And so there is John, there is the Marys, and they are surrounding him, and Jesus looked down upon his mother and said, Woman, behold thy son. And he said to John, Behold thy mother. And from that point on, John took Mary. Mary lived with John, and John took care of Mary as if she were his own mother. At this point, Mary, probably um, 55, 60 years old at this point in time. You, you see paintings that, that they make of Mary, and you know she looks like she's a teenager in all the paintings, but Jesus is 33 years old. Um, you, know, you can do the math of how old she would have had to be been, um, at least. So uh, we know that... Um, you know, you can't go by you can't go by what the artist's descriptions have, and that's the bad thing about it. Because once you see that, it gets stuck in your brain, and then it's hard to get it out of there. You see a picture, a painting of Jesus, and then that's in your brain, and that's what you think about. You know, people are going to be surprised and get to heaven. Moses doesn't look like Charlton Heston, you know, because that's who they have in mind because of the, because of the movie. Well, we have to let the scripture form our opinion of what uh, what the uh, who Jesus is. You can't let TV shows and, and movies tell you who Jesus is. The scriptures will tell us who they are. And so the scriptures will tell us who Mary is. And, and Mary um, is, is taken in by John. John's going to take care of her. We can see this, that, that Jesus loved his mother. Here in his dying moments, Jesus uh, was even keeping the commandments. Now, that might not have been the first thing that you thought of when you read that, that Jesus is keeping uh, the, the commandment to honor father and mother. Probably the first thing that came to mind, maybe, was that Jesus loved his mother. There on the cross, he's looking, make sure that mom is taken care of. Make sure that somebody's going to watch after her. But you see, those two things are not disconnected. The keeping of the law to honor your father and mother is not disconnected from the love that Jesus had for his mother. Why? Because love is the fulfilling of the law. Here we see someone who perfectly honored father and mother. And this is what it looks like. The agony with which Jesus is now suffering. The pain and the, the sorrow, uh, the shame, the the howling and the, the, the mocking and the, the scoffing of the unregenerate all around him. He's about to die, and yet he loves and honors his mother. And he looks down and, and loves her as a son ought to love her. This is what it looks like to keep God's law. Again, for as Paul said, love is the fulfilling of the law. It's interesting that 
the Jews, as we'll see, were very particular about keeping the law to, to get Jesus down off the cross before the Passover. Very particular about those minute things about the law, and we keep the law. But they, they do all those things while they're murdering the Lord Jesus. But here, in Jesus' outflow of love, this is what it looks like to keep the commandments. This is what it looks like to, um, to honor father and mother. So he's honoring his mother here. He cared for her. He cared for her physical well-being. But he also cared for her soul, for Jesus is dying for Mary. Some think that Jesus calls her woman here as not to break her heart by saying mother. And, and because Simeon, all those decades ago, prior to this, said to Mary in Luke 2.34, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thy own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And I believe that Simeon was talking about this very moment. Not that Mary was suffering for sinners, but here is a woman who bore Jesus. He was born, um, conceived in a virgin womb, born of of the virgin, um, conceived of the Holy Spirit. But she carried him for the nine months. She, She was delivered of the child. She nursed him. She fed him. She cared for him. She prayed for him. She she did all the things that a mother would do. And there, not only was her son, but her savior. And as we read this, it, you know, we can't, we read this and it, it we, we, we love our Lord Jesus. And, and, and she loved her Lord Jesus. And, but there she sees both her, her son and her savior pierced and and or uh, crucified. And I think that Jesus, as he cared for her soul, dying for her sins, also cared for her life to make sure that she was uh, cared for. Mary was a godly woman, but she was a sinner saved by grace. Mary was not a sinless person. The scripture said that she uh, was, she needed grace like everyone else. But what's interesting here is that Jesus didn't tell John to go to Mary, as some people will tell you to do, that that Mary is the one that we pray to. Mary can help you. Mary can give grace. A whole religion will cry out, Hail Mary, full of grace, and they'll pray to her, and they'll, um, they'll seek her help and seek her in times of trouble. Well, here was a time of trouble, and John, Jesus didn't say, John, go to Mary. He said, John, take care of Mary. Provide for Mary. Treat her as your own uh, mother and take her into your own house. So uh, we see the deficiency of Mary to even help herself in this life, let alone to help somebody's soul. Uh, so we see Jesus, um, I think, showing great love towards um, his mother, but the scripture is also showing us that there is no salvation in Mary. There's no hope there. 
for she herself needed a help and assistance. Jesus, while he's dying on the cross, loved others. Jesus was there as a sinner substitute. He was there for us. His whole, um, this whole event is there, not because he sinned himself, because he was dying for our sins. Not because he had done anything wrong, but he was the substitute for sinners. And so the whole reason he is there is for love. The love um, of his people. The love of, of God, the Father, to, to perfectly do the Father's will. The love of holiness and righteousness. That sin might be forgiven and, um, and God's people would be redeemed. Now in verse 28, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith I thirst. So when we interpret scripture, like I said earlier, we need to be very careful. When you read the Bible, uh, we want to know what God is saying, not what I can make the Bible say. Right? I've got a pretty good imagination, and I could, I could come up with all kinds of different things. But you don't care what I imagine. You care what the Bible says. You don't care what I can make words twist around to say. You want to know uh, what the Bible says. And whenever you read the Bible, that's what you should want to know. So I want to know what God says. I want to know what the scriptures say. And so here on the cross, we, we must be very careful not to go further than the scripture does. We, can, we can't see things that are not revealed. And we can't uncover deep and hidden things and, and try to, to find things that the Scripture just doesn't tell us. But there is so much here that the Bible does reveal that we should content ourselves with, with the plain truth of Scripture and, and to be content with what God actually does tell us. A.W. Pink said, While there is... Much about the person of Christ we cannot fathom with our own understanding. Yet there is everything about him to admire and adore. Foremost are his deity and his humanity and perfect union of these two in one person. Just the thought that Jesus said, I thirst, could uh, fill our many days and hours of, of meditation upon this very truth that Jesus said, I thirst. He thirsted because he was a man. That's one thing that is very evident that we should take away from this. He said, I thirst because he was thirsty. And he was thirsty because he was a man. God does not thirst. The angels do not thirst. Whenever you and I are in our glorified bodies, uh, Revelation tells us that we won't thirst. I think it's Revelation 7. We won't thirst. But here Jesus on the cross, in his humanity, said, I thirst. Jesus is God the Son. He is the God-man. Truly God and truly man. The Son of God does not manifest himself as a man, but the Word was made flesh. He wasn't a, a figment that was made to look like a man. He wasn't uh, just... A, a, a spirit of some sort that people perceive to be as a man, 
but the Word was made flesh. He didn't leave behind his divinity in heaven and then come and be a man and then go back and become God again, but he, he added to his divinity, which he never released, he never let go of his, his divinity, but he added to that humanity. And so the Son never ceased to be what he always was before, yet now is one, in one person has two natures. So the eternal second person of the Trinity has taken upon flesh, true human flesh, with a true human nature, who hurt like we hurt, who sorrows like we sorrow, who gets tired like we get tired, who, um, who uh, thirsted and hungered like we hunger and thirst. A true man. And so there on the cross was a true man in the flesh who thirsted. Now, there, there's different reasons why you and I get thirsty. There's the physiological reasons for thirst. It's really amazing if you, if you want to just read something interesting, just go and, and, and look up why people get thirsty and, and look up some of the medical reasons why. It's very interesting how the brain and the body works together and, and what's happening when you get thirsty and, and why you get thirsty, why you desire something to drink. Well, your body needs that fluid, but, but how the brain works and how the body knows when you need what you need, that's an amazing thing if you think about God's creation, that you get thirsty because your body needs something, and your body's telling you, hey, you need to get something in your body. You need, you need this water. So there, there's that reason of it, because uh, he, was, he was a man, he's got that reason. There's the, there's the hypovolemic reason that that comes to pass because whenever you exercise there's a there's a depletion of fluid and that has to do with blood volume and 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 your blood pressure will raise and and you need that you need to replenish what you've lost whenever you lose blood the same thing happens so as Jesus is suffering as the blood flows from the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, there's a, de a depletion of that fluid, and, and he thirsts because he was a man. I read some um, accounts of a Civil War soldier who was shot, and he said there was, that was one of the most terrible parts of his wound was the thirst that he experienced uh, on the battlefield that as the blood flowed from his body, it was just a, a thirst that he just couldn't describe. That's all he, he could think about was, was water. Well, as Jesus was there upon the cross, he thirsted because he was made like unto his brethren. Here, the, the, the God-man in his flesh, with the blood that flowed from his body and, and the exhaustion that he endured, um, was experienced in the frailty and the weakness and the limitations of human flesh. And he did all this without sin. Now that's something else we, we can think about. Jesus said, I thirst, and yet without sin.
Brother Harold was talking about patience in, in Sunday school. And that's one place where sometimes I think all of us know that you start getting hungry. Not just a little bit hungry, but I mean really hungry. And really thirsty. And maybe you didn't get to eat breakfast and something happened. You didn't get to eat lunch. And, and then you know, you've gone maybe a whole day without eating. There's whenever you can get the temptation to, to, to lose all patience and, and to, to sin with the mouth. And, and, and you say, well, I, I'm hungry. What, what is it, hangry? Is that what, what they call it? Whenever you get angry because you're hungry. But look at the Lord Jesus. In the midst of all this suffering. The temptation to, to, to give in to the, the desire to sin with the mouth. In the, the greatest weakness of, of flesh. Yet he did not sin. And you know how it is too. Maybe when you're sick. And you're kind of dehydrated. And you don't feel good. And, and you, you sin with the mouth. Here is Jesus in this great state of physical unrest and physical pain and suffering. And yet perfectly patient. Perfectly submitting to the, the will of the Father. And submitting to the, the suffering that he must endure. Oh, what a Savior we have. What a, what a man this is. Jesus thirsted because the Romans were cruel and were torturing him. He thirsted because of all of his sufferings. The last time we see Jesus having something to drink was the wine. Way back in, uh, several chapters ago in the upper room when Jesus had the Passover and instituted the Lord's Supper. And from that time, Jesus preached and prayed with the disciples. He went to the Garden of Gethsemane when he was in such agony of soul that he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. Soaked through with sweat in his agony, in his, in his prayer unto the Father. And he was arrested. And he was tried all through the night and beaten and scourged and tortured. And condemned. He was forced to carry the heavy cross to Golgotha. Collapsing under the weight of it. To where one had to come and help him carry his cross. Then he was crucified. The blood flowing from his head with the thorns on his crown. His hands and his feet. Lifted up. Up off the ground. In that uh, torturous son of the Middle East. Hours nailed to the cross, then hours in the darkness that covered the mental anguish, the loss of blood, the physical exhaustion, the torture, the pain, being up for two days. All of this would have contributed to his natural thirst. Not to mention the mental and the spiritual anguish that he suffered there like no other. As he cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And you know how it is whenever you're enduring perhaps a conviction of sin. Or when you're filled with the weight of, of a burden or 
uh, under conviction of sin, how you suffer, and how the, the body and the mind and the spirit are all, all um, connected in um, a, a human person. A broken spirit drives the bones. You can go to any doctor and they'll, your blood pressure, if your blood pressure were high, what will they ask? Are you under any stress? Is everything all right at home? Are you, um, uh, you got anything going on as far as uh, stuff in your, in your job? They'll ask you all these things. Why? Because uh, that contributes to your health. Things you think about can make you um, sicker or, or hurt your body. You can give yourself sicknesses by... by um, mental and spiritual problems that you might have. We hear Jesus enduring the wrath of God for us on our behalf, suffering in our stead. No doubt he suffered. And I think this all contributes um, to that cry he thirsted. Jesus thirsted that the scriptures might be fulfilled. In verse 28, it says, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. When I, was, <clears throat> when I first started um, meditating on this, I was thinking of all the scriptures that had been fulfilled. And I had thought of, of some off the top of my head, but you know, there were some that I, I didn't think of off the top of my head. Let me ask you right now, could, could you right now, maybe you can, but could you off the top of your head name every Old Testament promise or prophecy concerning the death of Jesus? Well, I know that if you had some time, you could do that. You could go home and get your Bible and you could do that this afternoon, no doubt. But Jesus, there hanging upon the cross, knowing that all things were now accomplished. How did he know that? Because he knew the Bible. Jesus knew the scriptures. I don't think this is speaking of Jesus' divine knowledge, uh, his omniscient knowledge, but, uh, but Jesus, the man Jesus, knew the scriptures and knew all things were accomplished. He knew what must be fulfilled, and he knew that all had been fulfilled. So how do you know that Jesus knew the scriptures? Because one of the sayings that he said there on the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me, is a quote from Psalm 22, knowing that all the scriptures uh, were fulfilled. Jesus knew the scriptures. And then of that same psalm, uh, Psalm 22, in verse uh, 15, this whole psalm about the Lord Jesus Christ and his crucifixion, and this one verse says, My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue cleaveth to my jaws. And thou hast brought me into the dust of death. Why is, why does his tongue cleave to his jaws? Because his, his body is depleted. He's dying. Blood that flows from him and he thirsts. So this is not Jesus just saying, Oh yeah, I have to say this. But this is part of the prophecy that would happen, that did occur. And so it was ordained of God. And Jesus, knowing what he would face, knew that this was part of it. 
and he thirsted. Um, the 69th Psalm, verse 21, says, They gave me gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. He thirsted, and those soldiers didn't give him a glass of water. They didn't run to the, the stream and get a cool uh, bucket of, of water to, to quench its thirst. They, f- they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it on hyssop and put it to his mouth. How, how cruel those Roman soldiers were. But little did they know their cruelty was ordained of God. That, that God used their wickedness for his glory in the proof and verification of what Christ has done, as we'll see in just a minute. Jesus thirsted, and he thirsted for us. Jesus thirsted that we may drink of the water of life and never thirst again. Now, if we want to go back and consider this thirst, I think we could go back to the, um, this gospel and see in John 4, when he talks to the woman at the well, and John 6, where Jesus uh, speaks of the water, but he says, He that believeth on me shall never hunger or never thirst. He told the woman that you can keep coming back to that old well, but you're going to thirst again. Every time you drink of that water, you're just going to keep on coming back. You're always going to be thirsty. He said, if you drink of the water that I'll give you, You'll never thirst again. What is this water? Well, it is Christ. It is believing on Christ. Believing on him for what? That he was raised up for our transgressions. That he died for our sins and was buried and rose again for our justification. Jesus in John 7 said, um, If any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. It is because Jesus thirsted for us that we can have our Thirst quench in him. He did this for us. He suffered for us. He had this physical thirst that we might have the uh, our spiritual thirst quenched. That is our everlasting, given everlasting life. He bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. And we can know that God is not unknowing or indifferent towards the suffering of his children. The man of sorrows, sympathetic high priest that he is, knows the suffering that men endure. You might tell me a problem and say, but Brother Doug, you just don't understand. And that might be true. I might not understand. But you have a merciful and compassionate high priest who does and who cares for you, who suffered for you, who endured the, the shame and the torture and the torments all without sin, that you might have everlasting life, that you may come to him and pour out your hearts and your troubles before him, knowing that he cares for you, and knowing that he hears you, and knowing that he is able to heal you, and he is able to help you, and he's able to comfort you, and he's able to strengthen you, and he's able to give you whatever it is that you need, that he knows your true need. We, We suffer and we want 
the suffering to end, but maybe that's not the need that we have at that moment. Maybe the need is a spiritual need that the suffering is bringing out. Well, he knows that need, and he, he can provide, and he can sympathize, and he can comfort. That's the Savior that you come to. That's the one dying on the cross for you. For you, he's there. For you, he thirsts. For you, he bleeds. For you, he is dying. And for all those who thirst, for all those who look at their own sin and say, I just not, it's not good enough. My works are not good enough. My sin is, is, is too wicked and too vile. If only I had righteousness. If only I could be rid of the sin that I've committed. If only I could be free from the guilt. Are you hungering and thirsting after righteousness? Well, Jesus says, if any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. Come to the one who dies for sinners that you might have everlasting life. Well, after those Roman soldiers did their cruelty, gave him the vinegar, he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. I think it was um, Augustine said that how many of us can bow our heads and fall asleep at the very instant that we want to do that? Not very many of us. Uh, sometimes, sometimes I can. I fall asleep pretty quick. But, but lots of times, you know, we, we try to sleep and we just can't even do that. But Jesus, in his great power, bows his head and gives up the ghost. He laid down his life. In his power over, um, his, over old flesh, we see the great God-man. That no one took his life from him, but he laid it down for us and said, it is finished. To quote Pink one more time, he said, this was not the last gasp of a worn out life. But this was a cry of victory and completion. He finished the work. All the work was accomplished. The greatest work that has ever been done. The sun left the glories of heaven and entered into this world. The divine mission in which um, God had sent his son into the world to do has been accomplished. The foreordained works of God, even though this was devised by the priests and even though it was carried out by the Romans, it was foreordained of God, as the book of Acts tells us. And Jesus said, it is accomplished, it is finished. For the Son of Man is come to seek and save that which was lost, it is finished. It's a faithful saying that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and it is finished. It is a faithful saying, and it is a true saying, that God sent forth his Son made of a woman under the law to redeem them which were under the law, that we might receive the adoptions of sons, and it is finished. All scriptures have been fulfilled. Christ bore our sin and paid our debt. It is finished. The old Covenant that Jesus fulfilled, it is finished. There's no need for sacrifices. There's no need to slaughter lambs and, the, and bulls and goats. There's no need for um, priests to come and, and sprinkle altars and that sorts of things. It is finished. It has been accomplished. The hope of all the Old Testament saints looking for the Messiah to come, it, has been, it is finished. And the hope of every one of us knowing that it has been done, it is complete. It is finished. There's no, no, there's no more need for a sacrifice for sin. For one has come and he's died 
uh, for sinners. It is finished. There's no more need for a Passover lamb. The Passover has died. It is finished. There's no need to earn your salvation for the work. It is finished. There's no need to finish the work that was given to us. In other words, there's no need for us to finish out by our good works what Christ has started for the work is finished. There's no need to question whether or not the blood is sufficient. It is finished. There's no need to trust in Jesus and then look to Mary. For Jesus said, it is finished. The work he set out to do is finished. Um, J.C. Ryle said this. I thought it was very good. He said, we rest our souls on a finished work if we rest them on the work of Jesus Christ our Lord. We need not fear that either sin or Satan or law shall condemn us at that last day. We may lean back on the thought that we have a Savior who has done all, paid all, accomplished all, performed all that is necessary for our salvation. When we look at our own works, we may well be ashamed of their imperfections. But when we look at the finished work of Christ, we may feel peace. We are complete in him if we believe in him. You trust your soul to a finished work. Not a half-finished work. Not an incomplete work, but a finished work, a perfect work, in a perfect Savior. That's what you trust in this morning. And there is no need to doubt the work of Jesus Christ. Now, if you're trusting in your own work, you have plenty of reason to doubt. If you're trusting in your own strength, you have plenty of reason to be afraid. But if you're resting your soul in the finished work, then you need fear the law or sin or Satan for who shall condemn us it is Christ that justifies we have a perfect savior who finished the work well lastly in verses starting in verse 31 you find a re- um, John tells us what happens here so Jesus gave up the ghost he died and the lifeless body of the Lord Jesus Christ is now hanging upon a cross. He's dead. Truly dead. He's gone. The the body is dead. The heart has stopped beating. The blood has stopped flowing. He is dead. Well, it was the preparation of the Sabbath. Not not, uh, the Saturday Sabbath, but the Passover Sabbath. Um, but in any event, the Jews were very particular about their laws. Even as they killed the Lord of glory, they were very particular about keeping the laws. Oh, we, ha- we, ha- we can't break the law. We, we don't want to have, you know, we can't ha- come down here on the Sabbath day and take his body off the cross, you know. We need this done and over with. But as one man pointed out, it's interesting if they had not done this, Because death by crucifixion could take several days. If they had not done this, Jesus had not died at the precise moment that he he ought to have died, then uh, you know he could have it could have went on for for various amounts of time and not been buried for three days and three nights and rose again on the first day of the week. But the, the main purpose of this was again that the scriptures might be fulfilled. So they said Break the legs. Now, why do you break the legs? Well, because crucifixion 
You die really by suffocation. Because when you got your hands either to the side or above your head, and then you're you're sort of hanging yourself. You know, the you're you're sunk down, the the arteries in, in your in your neck are, are squeezed and and there's all, all sorts of physical things going on, but, but you kind of suffocate. You can't hardly breathe. And so they'd press up themselves on their pierced feet to raise themselves up so they can get some breath. And then they would sink back down because obviously because of the pain and so forth. But if they broke their legs, then they couldn't push themselves up anymore. And then it would hasten the death and they would, they would suffocate. Well, Jesus had already died. He'd already died. And so they had gone. They broke the legs of the first man. They broke the legs of the second. And then Jesus was there already dead. Well, is he dead or is he not? Well, a soldier takes his spear and, and stabs Jesus with it. And out flowed the blood and the water from his side. He was dead. He didn't flinch. He didn't jump. It wasn't a fake. He wasn't pretending to be dead. He wasn't passed out. You know, they, they most likely stabbed him in the heart. And there, it was proven to all that he, was died, that he died. But why didn't they break his legs? Why does John tell us this? Well, that the scripture might be fulfilled. That a bone of him shall not be broken. In another scripture, they shall look upon him whom they pierced. They had to pierce him with that, with that uh, spear. So they could look upon him whom they pierced. So all the Jewish people there could look up on the dead body of the, the Messiah whom they had pierced. And see him there hanging upon that cruel instrument of torture. And so that a bone of him would not be broken like the others. Two prophecies fulfilled. J.C. Ryle again said it requires more unreasoning faith to be an infidel than it does to be a Christian. The man who regards the repeated fulfillments of these minute prophecies about Christ's death, such as the prophecies about his clothing, his thirst, his pierced side and his bones, as the result of chance and not design, must indeed be a credulous man. You really have to be a man of faith to believe all the things that happened to Jesus. Even just on this couple hours, all the prophecies was just happenstance. It just by chance happened. Not to mention all the other prophecies about his life. But why does John tell us this? What's the point of this? People will debate about what the blood and the water means. And, and there's all kinds of theories about the blood and the water. And, and you know, what is the hidden meaning here and the hidden meaning there? You may have, uh, you may have the right um, opinion about it. Or, but, but what is the reason we have it here? What's the reason why God himself tells us that that record is there? Verse 36, for these things were done. That the scriptures should be fulfilled. And 
And the scriptures are fulfilled, and you know it. And then look in verse 35. He that saw it bear record. John said, I'm writing this, and I saw it with my own eyes. And my record is true. So why do we know this? That ye might believe. You can go and you can read all about the physiological reasons why people thirst. And you can go and you can read all about the Roman crucifixion and all about how people die when they're crucified. Very interesting stuff. And you can read about the history of it and how, how many centuries they did it and how they had perfected it. You can read about um, how which Mary there are. There's three Marys, and, and which Mary is which through the Gospels. You can work all that out. You can work out on what day was this on, um, what day did he die, and all these types of things you can, you can look at and, and you can and, and dig down into and think about what's the significance of the blood and the water and all those things. But if you know all these facts, if you study all these things, but you do not believe, you've missed the whole point. You've missed the point of what John is saying. He said, I'm telling you these things about the blood and the water. I'm telling you these things about his bones. I'm telling you these things about his thirst. I'm telling you these things about the scriptures being fulfilled, that you would believe that he is the Son of God who taketh away the sin of the world. And that you would trust in him, and you would look to him, and you would believe in him that he is the Savior. If you know all these facts about that, but you don't know this thing, you've missed the point of what John was laying out here, that the Son of Man, the Son of God, lifted up on the cross, was dying for sinners, and whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Your sins can be forgiven. You can have everlasting life by looking to the Son and by faith receiving him. And John said, this is the point of this. This is the point of all these things here, that you would believe it. That you would believe it. Look to him and trust in him and believe upon the Son of God and be saved.